Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Grace, I'm going to put it out there as part two of the podcast, and obviously we're still with Grace Campbell. Um, you possibly could be one of, if not the, best guests I've had on this podcast. Really? Is that fill you br- Do you say yeah, this Yeah, so I'm just, that's me, yeah, yeah, and that's just, that's how I flirt, that's how I flirt, I use, I use my power to, to, to listen, if you, if you could one day be on this podcast. Really? But I'm not kidding, honestly. I love to honestly. hear that, Jamie. Yeah, I swear this to God. This is what I, I mean. When you first met me at the beginning of the podcast and I said, when I leave a party, people are sad, do you get it now? Well... What happens? What happens when you leave again? Yeah, they're like, "What do we talk about?" Grace inspired the whole conversation, and now she's gone. (laughs) And they just twiddle their thumbs. (laughs) So you have your wonderful book out called uh, "Amazing Disgrace." Uh, It's a book of shame. You've written it yourself. I did. Um, (laughs) Thank you. God, you've written it yourself. You didn't. You well done. All on my own. And you can you can order it today. You can go to Waterstones, as we said, Amazon. You can go anywhere we sell books. Okay, exp- give us a little blurb of what the book is about. Have you seen the cover, Jamie? It's me on a dick, <laughs> dick shaped cloud. <laughs> it is. You're on a dick shaped cloud. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> is that what happens when you go to heaven? Do you go up on that? <laughs> do you, that do you float up on that heaven. cloud? This is my heaven. This is. <laughs> Part two. You're writing a piece. When penis. I die. Um, so this is called Amazing Disgrace, named after me. Amazing. So my Instagram is Disgrace Campbell, and I've always been told I was a disgrace and not a grace. So that's my nickname. Um, and the book is basically about how it's about all of the different types of shame that young women in particular experience, like from all of the things we were talking about before with sex, I mean, I had a really fucking weird childhood. I'm not sure if you know anything about it, but I grew up in, in politics um, with your people, in fact. I was... <laughs> 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 Lots of people who sounded like you 
walking around down the street. Grace is Grace. Grace wants to be. Oh, oh! I'm so. I'm not posh. I'm so hard done by. La 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 la. La 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 la. No, well, I just don't sound posh. Like, what is posh? Let's discuss. What is posh? Exactly. What is it? I have a whole chapter in my book about that because. I had, so my dad is a guy called Alistair Campbell and um, when I was a baby he started working for Tony Blair and then for the first 10 years of my life both my parents worked full time for Tony Blair and New Labour and everything so they worked in Downing Street, both of them, till I was like 10. Um, and I had this huge identity when I was a kid because my dad is so, hates posh people. I told him I was doing this podcast and he was like, oh fucking posh people. <laughs> No, he didn't. He no, he did. He did not. He did not say. He went. Oh, he went. Well, that guy. Oh my god. No, I won't even tell you what he said. I said it's called Private Parts, and they're two guys who are posh, and were in Made in Chelsea. And he said, I won't even say what he said. He said the c word. <laughs> I thought you said. I'm not going to tell you what he said, but he said the c word. <laughs> I've literally said so many rude things before, but I can't say them. <laughs> you, can't, you can't say. You, you felt like you couldn't like, say no, that. That's too rude. My grandma might hear. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you, so you're growing up. You're both so, your parents. So both my parents, and, but my dad um, sort of had this thing where he was like. We can't be posh, but just because I'm working in politics, I don't want people. I don't want people to think we're posh. He doesn't associate with those people. He, he sort of always saw himself as a bit different. Now, it, it, have you watched the thick of it? I, I haven't watched it, but I know of it. Yeah. Okay. So you've got to watch it. It's, a, it's the best comedy program in the world, in my opinion. Amando Iannucci is just the best writer. But the the whole the the idea of who my dad was was he was this kind of bit rough around the edges, bit different from everyone else. Tony Blair was so like la 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 posh posh posh, and my dad mm. was just like I will punch you if you chat shit about me, my family, or Tony Blair, and that's what he was just like that. So when we were growing up, we had this we we went to like local schools like right next to our house, and then we my, both my parents worked down the street. So I was very confused because I saw myself as not like these people that we were seeing at Downing Street, but I also wanted to be as powerful as them. Mm-hmm. So my identity was so confused. As a nine-year-old, I literally thought I was, like, as powerful, as confident as the Prime Minister. Mm-hmm. But I was so deeply jealous of the Prime Minister, so I would lash out at school and, for example, was horrible to do a leaper because <laughs> I... <laughs> <laughs> Because I, at school, I was like, I took on this sort of bullish mentality that I guess my dad had in politics. Mm. I looked at my dad, I was like, well, I want to be just like him because he had this cool life. He was hanging out with the Spice Girls and Nelson Mandela and Oasis and they were having all these parties. And I wanted to be there, but I was so jealous because my dad was barely at home. He yeah. was so busy. So I sort of... Um, I sort of, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? I took on like that persona that my dad had, and then because you felt like that would make you it. fit in, almost <clears throat> that you thought that was the way to achieve whatever you thought you wanted to achieve. I thought the only way you could be successful, and this was just strictly when I was a kid. I don't think this now, but I thought the only way you could be successful was to act 
quotation marks like a man. So mm-hmm. be really sort of ballsy, be really confident. All attributes that now I just see as my personality. Mm. But when I was a kid, I was like, I have to be like my dad. Like my dad would walk into a room and people would just look at him and listen to him. And, and he had this like power that I really wanted. And I couldn't really understand what the fuss was about Tony Blair. Because I was like, my dad is so much more impressive than Tony Blair. Like Tony Blair is a bit of a wet blanket in comparison to my dad. So I used to be like... I don't really get this. Like, why isn't my dad the star of the show? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know what you mean. It was a fucking complex. Like, but 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 it's interesting because wh- when you talk about success, right? What 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 were you? What are you defining success as at a nine at nine years old? What did you think? Because obviously that changes as we grow up. But at that age, what did you think? What did you sort of determine success was? Well, I think ultimately success to me was getting my my dad's attention. So, yeah. however, I could do that. It was like, oh, and and by the way, my dad loves me, and like he always did. But not he what was he just, told me. He... Not what when we had that. <laughs> <laughs> he he didn't say that. He actually said the total opposite. He said, "I went, I'm." He finds me fucking annoying. Yeah, I went, I went, I'm. Oh, today I've got. I'm interviewing this person. She's got Grace Campbell. She's like, oh, and she went, she's a C. <laughs> <laughs> no, he fight. My dad finds me. So super loud and super annoying but when I was a kid he just thought I was so funny because I literally would be like when we'd be at Downing Street I'd like stand up on a chair and be like right I'm making the speeches now like this needs to be about me not about Tony Mm -hmm. so it gave me this fucked up uh, complex about myself and look I'm very lucky I was in crazy situations and it was a mad life so I've got a few chapters about that in the book about the complexes that it gave me Really, but but it's also interesting because you, you, I, I want to talk about the complexes because I think everyone experiences their own complexes uh, growing up, and 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 unfortunately, it's always that da- pretty not always, but it's, it's a lot of it is down to childhood and what you experience during childhood. But you experience shame as well, and you there's a very funny quote in your book where you talk about ma- masturbating for the first time, <laughs> and and it would you you were around and you didn't know you'd be around seven years old and you felt total shame for that. And and why do you think you felt so much shame in different areas of your life growing up? Because shame is a heavy word. Shame is a heavy feeling. Yeah, totally. You know? and, and, and shame is something that everyone will have experienced at some point in their lives. You know, even that story you told earlier about when you thought the clit was deep inside the vagina, mm-hmm. I imagine you would have felt shame. Total, and when you yeah. think about that moment now, you still get that recurring feeling of, oh, that's so embarrassing, like, which we all do. And I think what I really try and get across in the book is that none of that is shame that belongs in us, right? It's, it's We're taught to feel ashamed of things like masturbation because, so for example, specifically with masturbation, no one had taught me that that was a thing that girls did. Mm. So up until I was 21, I was wanking all through my teenage years. I didn't know that other girls did it. I was convinced I was the only girl in the world that did it. And I was convinced I was a freak because of that. And I thought it made me this sort of illegal pervert that if anyone found out, I would, like, go to prison. (laughs) And just got to say, my first wank was with a teddy called Toby that I called Toby the Tory Teddy because he looked like a posh twat. So, moving on. (laughs) So, what you're saying is posh twats make you orgasm? Is that what you're trying to do? Well, I'm in luck (laughs) because... Get ready for they my sperms. <laughs> Boris oh, Johnson. Oh, please. <laughs> I want Boris Johnson's sperms. 
But it is, but as you said, it's an interesting subject because shame is a very heavy feeling. But I, 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 th- I think when you're, you're, you know, it's quite hard to understand what feelings are growing up. You don't know what sadness is. Re- you, you know what, you, you, can, you, you kind of, you don't even know what really anger is. You just are angry because you haven't been given this or given that. And then suddenly as you get older, you know, Blake writes these two poems about innocence and experience. And he explains that experience ruins innocence. And it's totally true, right? Because when you're innocent, you have an emotion. You don't know what it is. You don't obsess over it. You let it pass and you move on. But as we get older, we obsess over our emotions. Um, but- well, that's a really good example with masturbation, right? So when, like, kids... So you know when you see, like, toddlers, like, humping things and their parents are like, what are you doing? And then, like, will embarrass them for doing yeah. that. And actually, that's a really, like, normal sort of thing. You know, kids do get, like, weird urges like that. And that's... So I... If someone had just said to me when I was a kid, by the way, at some point, you might be in your bedroom and you might get this feeling and want to see about it... I could have not spent, like, 13 years thinking that I was a freak, but it was the fact that no one had sort of given me the right to, like, come to be that way sexual with myself at such a young age. It made me feel deeply ashamed, and and then that meant that sex at the beginning was sort of associated with shame because, like we were talking about earlier, because I'd been masturbating for so long, I knew how to to come, but mm. obviously no one I was getting with did because they thought, like you, the clip was somewhere deep inside my belly button. So they were, like, <laughs> getting it all wrong. But I knew how to do it. But I was like, because I've been doing it in such a freakish way, I can't let anyone know that yeah. I know how to do it because they might judge me. Because you had been doing something in secret and so therefore your secret then potentially was going to be let out. And if someone discovered your secret, then you would be an outcast. Um, yeah, and then it's shame again. And then it's shame again. But then the, 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 maybe I'm speaking out of turn here, but I th- not that I haven't spoken out of turn this whole podcast. <laughs> but um, but the, the reason we sh- the problem with shame or emotions like that is that they then have the potential to develop into more serious conditions like feeling sad or feeling incredibly anxious and things like that. And and did that happen to you? Yeah, definitely. And I I would say as well. So. The shame in the book is like, it covers loads of different types and all of it is stuff that I don't feel I should feel ashamed of. Mm. But it does manifest in different ways. So for example, like my childhood, um, we had protesters outside our house for like a long period of time during the Iraq war when I was nine years old. My dad was like, I thought people were gonna kill him. Like there were people, we had to have loads of security. We had to have these panic buttons throughout our house. That alone, that fear that my dad was going to get killed, which I literally used to be obsessed with. I've got a whole chapter about this. Um, That has informed so much of my anxiety. So, like, Mm. when I started doing stand-up, I was so convinced that, like, someone would try and kill me from the audience, which is just this, like, crazy intrusive thought. It's the paranoia that kicks in. But it's it's the paranoia. Yeah, no. Listen, I, I, I totally, re- I totally relate with that. Like, um, I, I used to have a complete fear of of death when I was younger. I was just con- constantly worried that I was going to die for some reason, or or someone around me that I loved was going to die. And so, therefore, you know, that manifested into, you know, I had a panic attack when I was twenty two years old because I thought actually, and it was after a big drinking night, right? And I had a panic attack, and it was probably it's it's a mix of other reasons why I had this panic attack. But, you know, this is what sort of spiked 
psyched it off almost. And it was the fear of dying. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to die. And you go back to that inner child. And, you know, I, I was then left, you know, my, my anxiety was, that's the beginning of my, my journey with anxiety. But the severeness of it lasted for about six months where I couldn't, I couldn't even look at people in the eye. It was awful. It was horrendous. And it's because you don't deal with these emotions growing up. And I, I totally relate. I'm sure a lot of people relate, you know, maybe perhaps not doing stand-up, but getting the paranoia of, of uh, thinking that something's going to happen to them or, or, and, and, or like you're on stage and you think you're going to be killed. But then how do you, you know, you have all these emotions and all these different things. How do you overcome them? How do you bypass them? How do you realise that they're just emotions? Well, I think, well, first of all, that thing you just said about the panic attack, I so, so relate to that. My first panic attack was just like that. And it was like, it was mainly my fear was that I was panicking because I was dying. Mm. So I was convinced I was dying and therefore I would panic more. And it lasted for six hours. I was in Paris on the metro. And then basically after that, it, it my whole anxiety was informed by the fact that that was going to happen again. Yeah, totally. So I was constantly convinced I was going to feel like that again because it's so Horrible deeply feeling. traumatic. Yeah. yeah. And it's sort of like almost like a, a crazy drug trip. I was like, I've been drugged because I was seeing things and yeah. I was on this metro in Paris and I was going up to people and being like, my mouth was really dry. I, I was so dry, like I just needed to drink some water. And I went up to this group of Parisian girls and I was like, do you have a Euro? Like in French... So I can get water at this vending machine. They all laughed at me. And then I was like, oh my God, I'm crazy. Like, they think I'm crazy. So that is a hard relay. How would you overcome that, I think, is a combination of things. Because I think the reason those moments happen is because you're being forced to confront things in your inner self that you Mm. probably haven't dealt with before. And so it all comes up to the surface in one deep, horrible, brutal way. But it forces you to really think, right, something's going on inside of me now. So, like, whether it be doing therapy, I went on medication then, which I'm Mm. still on now for my anxiety, which is really, really helpful. And I think there's no shame in going on medication. But I also think it is time. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. 
you know, I, I've actually, I've actually never really said this. When I, when I uh, started my journey of anxiety, and it is, it's built up and it's horrible, and it's way to do it. And I had therapy and all these different things, but I was offered medication, um, and I umdenard about it, and I didn't take it in the end, and uh, because I was afraid of it, because I was, you know, I'm 32 nearly now, and this is, you know, 10 years ago, um, and it was at a place where, with, with mental health, wasn't spoken about. And I totally thought I was alien. I was like, what is wrong with me? I'm going mad. And I honestly, like you, I thought I was going mad for six months. And then, and that continued. But I also just drank through it. I was like, oh, God, just drink through it, just drink through it, just drink through it. And I, and I polluted my body with different things. Um, and, it's, and, it's rigid, and there is, I think, the most important thing, a note that you said there, is there is absolutely no shame in any of this whatsoever. There's no shame in talking about it, feeling it, experiencing it, or even taking things to help bypass it. Because I... Totally. I, I used alcohol to, to overcome it, which is probably the worst substitute to, <clears throat> to use for these things. Um, but it's funny because normally the amount of outgoing people that I meet or, or perceived to be outgoing, right, people that I meet are the ones normally who suffer uh, the most inside. And, you know, people like yourself or me who people meet in the street, they probably think we're very outgoing and things like that. But actually on the inside, we feel incredibly insecure about certain things, right? And that's why I think it's really important that, that you know, it, that someone like you talks about it because... It's that feeling of when I say to someone, oh, I, you know, my mental health's always basically in the dog bin. Dog bin? Dog shit bin? Dog, the poo the, bin? What, the dog bin? The dog bin? <laughs> the dog, Wait, what was that? What's a I dog bin? Dogs. You're throwing <laughs> your dog in a bin. <laughs> like that woman who threw the cat get in, in there. the bin. Get in there, anxiety. Get in the dog the bin. The dog poo bin. Um, <laughs> but like my, yeah. And when I say that to people, they're like, God, that makes me feel better in a fucked up way because yeah. you seem like you're so happy all the time. And I'm just, I think because of having this in part of my life for so long, I, I am really good at just being fine, but inside feeling really anxious. If that makes sense? Yes, totally. But coming back to the, the alcohol thing. So I did exactly that. And I just I drank alcohol and took loads of drugs and, and fucked up my body and fucked up loads of relationships and mm. just was so deeply self-destructive. And what I'm really happy with now is I've gotten into a place where I'm so aware of the things that will help me and the things that won't help me. Right and I'm, I'm good at sort of categorising those things and saying, like, for example, my book came out today. I've been so anxious about it coming out. Last night I was with some of my friends. I'm just not going to get drunk because I don't want to be hungover today because then I'll feel more anxious, and I know that. Yeah, that's a really good thing to work out. That's what I struggle with. I, I, I didn't listen to my own body. I didn't listen to my own body and I just I just thought okay fine and and it goes back to that same thing that we spoke about is that I was just wanting to please other people rather than helping myself so like you you know that if you get drunk you're going to feel anxious you know these things you have to protect yourself and without a doubt if you know to all the people out there who are listening to this who are feeling a certain way you must protect yourself in these situations and you can't uh, go and do things for other people because you think it's going to please other people. Protect yourself is the most important thing and find out what what hurts you the most. 
Um, and, it, you know, it took me to the point of something called depersonalization at the age of 20. Same. Oh, that's what it took me to. Yeah, you had depersonalization. Yeah, it's, it's, mm. and to, to listeners who don't know what it is, it's basically where your body puts you in autopilot almost um, because you've had experience too much anxiety, stress, depression, PTSD, whatever. It's lots of different things. But you go into autopilot and you basically think you're floating. You sort of have a floating experience. Exactly. Um, and you think you're going mad and you think that you're not alive or living or you don't know what's going on and it's horrible and you're scared and all these different things and it took me about again six months to get over and you have blurry vision forever and it's because you just haven't looked after your body and at that point my body was literally telling me you have to stop otherwise we're gonna kick it in or something's gonna happen bad yeah. um, well but it's exactly that that's why it happens because it's forcing you mm. to stop you know like that's why so I had exactly that. When I, I was living in Paris for university when all of this sort of kicked off and I got anxiety and I used to... I describe it where if I was putting my coat on and I'd be putting my arm through the arm of the sleeve and I wouldn't feel it. And I'd be like, I'm not going into the coat. Mm. And people used to be with me and I'd really freak them out because I'd go like this, like in and out, and I'd be like, I can't feel it. I just yeah. can't feel the sleeve of my coat. Yeah. And no one could really understand what that. Or I'd be like opening the car door but I couldn't feel it. Yeah, so I could see it was opening, but I couldn't feel the handle. So I was like, it can't be opening. Because it's such heightened anxiety that your body is just going in overdrive. Your nervous system's all over the place and it's just, you, you're not experiencing or feeling other things. And it's a pretty terrifying place to be. But as you said, which is, which is so impressive for someone your age, because you're 26, right? But yeah. for someone to understand themselves so much and realise what's bad and good for them at 26 years old is pretty impressive, because sometimes it takes a whole lifetime for, to do that. You know, some people, that it does. And you've learned at an early age. And, and is that down to, is that in down to discipline? Or what is it down to? I think it's actually mainly down to, I, this, this whole journey started to, for me when I was 18 years old. Mm -hmm. So that's when I was in Paris and that's when I had to start doing therapy. And, and so I had my, and I would say really, it was from 18 until about 22 that I was completely fucking up and it really all came to a head, which I talk about in my book, where I overdosed at a festival called Secret Garden Party. Really? And it, it, and it was this moment where I was like, that disassociation, my body and my mind have been two separate things for so long that it got to a point where I was just putting all of this stuff into my body, into my body. I wasn't eating. I was just, all I had to do was get fucked. I just had to forget. I just had to forget. I just had to get yeah. this point where nothing was real anymore because I was so unhappy and I kept getting rejected by these horrible men that were like, yeah. just horrible things were happening. And I talk about all of this in the book. The book is funny, by the way, for people listening, but... <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it is funny because you listen to the first of course it's funny no it's 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 hundred yeah. percent I, I know yeah, it's, someone hasn't just but tuned in halfway through and gone this tragic. is a bit morbid <laughs> yeah. no I'm like fucking hell <laughs> no but, but I just I want I want to just um want to make sure that this is incredibly important as well so yeah so you're at so you at you're at this point where you so were... so I got to this point where I was like fuck and that was a moment where Anna my best friend all of these people were there. And we were all, we sort of teamed together and everyone was like, this is a problem, Grace. Like, something has to change because as much as we all like to have fun, you don't know how to sort of not take it to that level. Yeah. And so I, I just, I stopped, basically. I stopped everything for about six months. 
I needed to basically have that moment to force, like you you described earlier, my mind and my body to come back together. And that after that moment at Secret Garden Party, that process began. And that was three years ago. And I'm just, the place I'm in now, it was traumatising writing the book because I was like, fuck, I was in such a dark place then, but I'm not there now, which is why I felt I could write it. I was in a very dark place mm. and the only way I could forget about the, th- the thoughts going on in my head was by sort of consuming too much. But I never actually enjoyed that feeling. I hate hangovers. I hate the way that actually big benders make me feel. I yeah. love my body. I do yoga every day. I'm like obsessed with my health. So I would always hate it, but I was like trying to forget. So in that one moment, I just try and forget if that makes sense it's total escapism i absolutely understand Mm. that and i think so many people i think a huge huge majority of people especially in our current climate uh, will experience the same thing it's an escapism um and it's not uh, it's definitely not the healthy way to live grace i just love your honesty because i think for many years it took me it took me a while to be honest to myself and to others and everyone else because I was like, oh shit, what does that mean? People are going to not like me. People are going to be this. People are going to that. People are going to think I'm all these different things. And that's a, you know, and it's a typical, first, firstly, a typical male attitude uh, that guys... Bring. Which is why I think it's amazing you even talking about the anxiety. I honestly just think that's incredible. I genuinely yeah. really think that because for men, this is a really hard thing to articulate, anxiety. Yeah, it, 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 it is. Sorry, yeah. But why do you think it is? Well, because I think there's a terrible association with anxiety of being like, oh, because people think it's just, oh, you worry too much. or You know what I mean? Like, that's the old school definition. Men don't want to be seen as people who get anxious and and fret and nervous before big things and worry about death. Men, like, typically men don't want to be seen that way. And I just love hearing men talk publicly about anxiety and depression. And, you know, my dad has been a huge person Mm. on this. But I love it because I'm like... This is what men don't hear me and think, oh, I feel better now. They hear you, Jamie. They genuinely do. And they think that makes me feel so much better that like someone I've looked up to and watched for all of these years has experienced these things that I have. And there's no shame in it. No, there's totally no shame in it. But it took me a while to sort of confess up to it. And now I'm a, you know... Uh, like you are, like your dad is. I'm a big activist in in that area because, and and not in not in the the sort of what I like to call the Hollywood way, where oh my god, you know, let's jump on the back. You know, <laughs> uh, I've 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 had some real real sketchy shit happen. <laughs> like yeah. you have, you're like, is this really happening? What the hell's going on here? <laughs> and it's intense. Um, but the greatest thing about it is that I always say to people um, is that it does get better and you just have to be willing and you have to be open and you have to talk about it and you have to try and get a support system. And I know that's tricky for a lot of people, but you have to try lots of different ways. And Grace, I freaking love the fact that you say so, so profound is that you have to discover what is bad for you and what is bad for you may not be the same for other people but find out what's bad for you and and love yourself you don't have to please others because if you start pleasing others and you know what that doesn't happen right away by the way no way it takes ages it takes fucking years and again like there is no shame in fucking it up and drinking too much and sometimes making it worse yeah like that is part of the process because it has to take a lot of really awful hangovers in my opinion to really taking the message that your body's sending you yeah it's totally true and, and, and it does and, and the problem is we're so you we're so as humans right now we're, we're used to instant gratification so it's instant 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 and the problem with 
uh, healing yourself is it takes a long time. So you want it to be over now, 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 and it, and it just doesn't, so it takes time. But exactly, go out and have fun. You know, go and do these different things. Go and experience everything you possibly can. Um, and don't, and also, I, would, I always say, don't go into this, like, you know, graces, uh, yoga, 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 oh my God. Yoga, <laughs> <laughs> yoga, yoga, But, but don't. <laughs> You're like my dad. This is what my dad does. I'm like, dad, I found this one thing that makes me feel so good and not yoga, anxious yoga, for an yoga. hour. And he's like, fucking yoga. Yoga is just fucking ridiculous. But, he but, literally uh, is so horrible about it. Uh, but I just, I just think that you know, there's, there's a way that works for everybody, and you just got to find your, got to find your little niche to, 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 to go down that route. Um, but Grace, honestly, I can't tell you um, how awesome you are, dude. Like you're, you're, you're an awesome person. Um, and I just, so are you. no, yeah, I know I am, but I just, <laughs> <laughs> oh, please. Um, just, you are, you're, you're awesome. And listen to all you listeners out there, go and grab Grace's book, Amazing Disgrace. Um, it's, it's, you know, it has everything that you can possibly want from, from hilarious anecdotes and stories to, to you know, some tough times and everything, and go out there and grab because it's incredibly relatable to so many different people. Also, Grace, we can follow you on Instagram, can't we? Yeah, Disgrace Campbell. Disgrace Campbell, and uh, also if you want to catch your Channel Four show that you wrote and performed in Riot Girls, that's that's out there, isn't it? Yeah, God, that was a throwback. Forgot yeah, about that. Sorry, don't worry. <laughs> Hayley, I like those little throwbacks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love that. Yeah, anyway, yeah. I'll be I'll be on your TV screen soon. My book's gonna be a hit. So I'm gonna be on Strictly next year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and if you guys want to tune in Strictly, yeah, listen. Yeah, yeah guys, yeah. watch Strictly yeah, for votes, Jamie. Votes open this weekend, so I'm, I'm second bottom at the moment. <laughs> oh my god, are you? I know, man. That's so rude. I know. But are you joking? I, hey, Grace, trust me. I'm as shocked as you are. <laughs> I'm really shocked. So am I. I'm, really I'm generally shocked. I... That has really upset me. <laughs> what about that woman who was the politician? Is she the one? Yeah, she's blowy. <laughs> okay. Lovely Jackie is a little bit blowy. Jackie, yeah, I was gonna say like. <laughs> but lovely Bill Bailey, uh, he's above me. <laughs> so, ah, uh, and mine was all about wow. mine was all about sex appeal. Turns out I have none of that, which is. No, you gotta just keep, just keep going. Look, you know yeah, there yeah. are so many famous stories of people who started at the bottom and then they got to the top. So. Brags to riches. That's that's that's, exactly. that's me. You, Jamie that's, Lang. That's me. Brags to riches. That is me in a nutshell. Um, hey, Grace, listen, huge, huge congrats. You should be so proud of yourself in every aspect of your of your life. You really should. You're just such an awesome person. What we like to do at the end of the podcast is leave our listeners with something inspirational. Oh, God, shall I be funny or shall I be serious? Hey, Hmm. you can just do a little mixture. Up to you, whatever you fancy. Fanny farts don't smell. (laughs) Fanny farts don't smell. It's a big misconception in this life. Um, Don't be ashamed of fanny farting. It's very normal. It's just a bit of air gets trapped and needs to come out, but they don't smell. And if anyone makes you feel bad or laugh about it, just tell them it's your bagpipes playing. (laughs) Also, <laughs> just before we go, that reminded me that, that apparently when you were younger, you were taken to that your dad said we're going to Downing Street. It's a landslide for Tony Blair, and you went, "What? There's a slide yeah. there?" <laughs> <laughs> 
And then I was obviously so pissed off when I got there and there was no fucking slide. And I was like, what? And there was just stupid Tony making a speech. My dad's way better than you, Tony. Yeah. <laughs> my dad is so... Oh, my dad. When I, I once met Boris Johnson, I was actually like, I cannot believe you're more successful than my dad. Like I said that, I was like, you're spitting every time you open your mouth. Like, he's so unattractive. It's wild. <laughs> Grace Campbell, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You're you're my spirit animal. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> hey, listen. Well, we'll we'll hang out one day post COVID. I can't wait. To all you lovely listeners, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.